When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is now a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works, or others in the book world about their roles, what those roles entail, and the books they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Thoughts from a Page. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate Group for sponsoring my podcast. Today, I am interviewing Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis about their book, The Parent Compass. Cindy is a graduate of Stanford University and has been working in education for the past 25 years as a former assistant director of college admission, high school teacher, educational consultant, and author of five other education-related books. She speaks professionally to parents, students, teachers, and businesses on topics such as study skills, the adolescent journey, college admission, and now the Parent Compass movement. Jen earned a BA from UCLA and an MSW from USC, and has been an educational consultant and professional speaker for the past 12 years. As owner of FutureWise Consulting, she has worked with hundreds of students on every aspect of the college admission process. She's particularly passionate about empowering teens to approach life with intention and educating parents about using their parent compass. I learned so much by speaking with them, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome, Jen and Cindy. How are you guys today? Good. Great. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to talking about The Parent Compass. I want to hear all about how the book came about, how you wrote it together, and just all of the details. But before we start that, why don't you just tell me a little bit about the book itself? So The Parent Compass is a book that is really designed to help parents of tweens and teens parent better. It began really as an etiquette book to help guide parents through these kind of difficult and challenging and competitive years. And it really evolved into something much more like a parent compass movement, which we can talk more about as we move along. But the goal is really to help give parents a toolbox of background and ideas, case studies of students we've worked with and other experts that weigh in on the parenting process. Well, how did you decide to write the book together and what was that process like? We have been colleagues for many, many years, over a decade, right, Cindy? Yeah. Yeah. And so we would get together for lunches every now and then. And and quite frankly, educational consulting can be a bit of a lonely job. And it's really nice to have colleagues that you can run things by. So we would get together periodically. And this process started when the Operation Varsity Blues scandal 
erupted. We called each other that day and spent a good a good portion of the <laughs> whole day on the phone with one another, just in in shock and horror at what was coming out in front of us in the news. And what happened was that we started to have these really real conversations about the parenting behavior that we were seeing around us in our practices. And those behaviors didn't amount to things like fraud and bribery, but on the same token, you know, we were seeing these patterns of kids who were coming in who didn't have a voice, whose parents spoke for them, who were burned out and stressed out. And the more we talked, the more we felt like we had this arsenal of tools from all the observations that we've been making over the years. And we had this like truly burning desire to get those tools out so parents could have the strategies that they needed to raise kids through a really sensitive stage, but keeping the relationship with their kids intact and really maintaining an appropriate role in their academic lives, kind of culminating in the college admission process. There's so much to navigate as a parent of a teen these days. Social media, the intense pressure, everybody wants to get into the very best college all of it. And it's a lot for them. And I think it's really hard to then parent to know, am I doing the right thing? How do I handle these things? And I think something like the Parent Compass is a great guide for those that are struggling and need a little bit of outside help. Thank you. Well, and and to rewind even a little bit from that, Cindy, um, my background, I'm also Cindy, is I started by working in college admissions. So I had been on the other side of the table, you know, interviewing students, reading applications, and, you know, as a parent of very young children at the time, and now I'm the parent of four pretty grown kids, one out of college, one in college, and two in high school. And so I'm really in the thick of this as a parent and also as an educational consultant with Jen. So in the book, the two of us definitely do not profess to be perfect experts in this process. We share a lot of our own mistakes that we each made along the way in an effort to you know, really engage with our readers so they know that we're really genuinely trying to help them and help ourselves continue to improve in this process that really changes day by day, as we all know who anyone who is parenting adolescents or working with adolescents. Well, and certainly the college process changed a lot in the last year and a half. I have a daughter who will be a junior in college and then a daughter who will be a freshman. And the difference in going through the college application process pre-COVID and then right in the heart of COVID was drastically different. Absolutely. (laughs) It was a little uh, alarming to watch, you know, because at first everybody was like, well, things are going to be so much easier and this is going to be great. And then slowly it seemed to flip to the other side and it ended up being, I think, a lot more stressful and difficult from just watching it unfold from the people that we know. Absolutely. I think from our perspective, you know, you take an already stressful process and then you add COVID to it. And the stress just absolutely ballooned. And the competition this year, for a variety of reasons that we we don't necessarily have to get into, but the competition this year just skyrocketed. And when you already have a really difficult, challenging year emotionally, just seeing some of the devastation that came along with college admission, it was just heartbreaking. Um, And there were so many nuances to navigate that were really confusing for families. So the testing landscape changed quite a bit and families were left, you know, trying to grapple with what does that mean for me? And what is, what is test optional? What is test blind? I don't even know what that is. 
And then, you know, also trying to manage everyone's stress and emotion at the same time. So I've honestly, I don't think in my years of being an educational consultant, I've never seen a more difficult and and stressful year. And the messaging from colleges was so different on the test optional. You know, some schools were like, we're totally test optional. And others were like, we're test optional only if you can really show you couldn't take the test. So it really just depended, I think, on where you were applying and how you were looking at it and where you kind of ranked those schools yourself as to whether it was truly test optional. It was all very confusing. And I think families were left trying to read between the lines. You know, there was the the party line that we don't care about about testing, you know, we're going to go test optional. But I think everyone was just so skeptical and didn't really know, is that true? Is it is it really going to affect me? Is it not going to affect me? And they didn't really know where to find the information. And it was just a big mess. <laughs> I would say also, Cindy, that when we uh, when the book was just about to go to press, you know, we realized that it was going to be launching during COVID. And Jen and I sort of panicked and went, you know, we didn't really write this book for COVID. Let's just review our, you know, our manuscript before it goes fully to press, just to be sure we're really meeting the needs of, you know, an audience that is in this extra uncertain landscape. And what we found, surprisingly and pleasantly, was that the book really resonated and made sense even more during these uncertain times um, as hopefully a salve and just a guidebook to kind of get through this already difficult and challenging time you know, with COVID on top of it. And our on our website and out in public, Jen and I have been on, you know, not just podcasts, but panels and have written articles and all of that to really answer a lot of these COVID-related questions as they've come up in these changes. But we feel like the Parent Compass message still really carries through and and holds its own as we continue on in kind of this college admission landscape that will continue to shift and alter and change, you know, each year. Well, like I said, I thought your book was very helpful, and I'm sure it was really helpful to people that were struggling and trying to figure out, okay, what does all of this mean, and what do I need to do, and what happens if my ACT location keeps canceling my test, and you know, just all the weird things that were happening. But let's back up a little bit. I would love to hear about the actual writing of the book, because I think it's so interesting to hear how those things come about. How did you decide to write the book together, and then what did that look like? Like, How did you co-write? That is such a, I love that question because Jen and I, we have incredibly different styles, I would say, in the way we write and the way we express ourselves. And yet, in my thoughts, and I hope Jen will agree, um, sharing the process together, I could never have done this without a partner. I just, I, I so valued everything that Jen brought to the table in terms of, you know, not just editing writing that I had written, but also in the fact that we really partnered on every single page of this book. There were definitely certain chapters that each of us carried a little bit more expertise in. And I'll let Jen talk about a little bit more about her background. But that being said, we both shared a very equal voice in the whole process. And we felt like every word needed to be our words. And so um, it was the first time I'm embarrassed to say that I logged into shared Google Docs and fell in love with the process of going back and forth with Jen on you know, what did she write today? And what did I write today? And how can we put this together? And it really was just a full partnership, a full marriage, I would say that we kind of gave birth to this book that we're both, you know, really proud of together. So I just felt really gratified by having a partner in the journey. And I felt like it, it made the process an amazing, you know, dialogue. I don't know, Jen, your thoughts? Yeah, I will say, thank God for Google Docs. 
Because honestly, I don't know how we we would have done this, you know, 10 years ago without Google Docs. And even in the end, the very end, when we're when you're proofing your galleys, you have to do it in PDF format. And it was a nightmare. (laughs) Because we couldn't do Google Docs. And oh my gosh, it was that was that honestly, Cindy, I think that was like the worst part of the whole process. Because (laughs) it was all the comments that we had, had to be entered into this PDF that we couldn't share. And it was, oh, it was a total nightmare. Google Docs was great. What Cindy was hinting at too, is that our, our while we are both educational consultants, we came to it in different ways. And I think that that really helped complement one another in terms of the content of what we cover. So Cindy's background, as you heard her say, is in admission. And um, she's great when it comes to study skills and time management and classroom type of advice. And my background before I came to this field was in mental health. And so that's also kind of colors how I approach my practice even. And so we brought both of those different sides to our viewpoint in each and every chapter because we wanted to cover both that classroom piece, but also that wellness piece, because when it comes down to it, that's kind of where our message is at. We want parents to be considering first and foremost their child's wellness and mental health as they are traversing through this process. So did one of you write a chapter and the other edit it? Did you sit down together and try to write together? Like what did that look like exactly? Yeah, so we originally came up with a, you know, kind of a, a table of contents together that I would say evolved. In fact, there were certain chapters, the the very first chapter of the book ended up being the very last chapter we wrote. And we'll talk about that in a minute, how we sort of realized there was something missing from the book once we finished it. And we also had um, a a chapter in the book that was the biggest nightmare, our hardest by far chapter to write that we lost the most sleep on, which was our technology chapter. And we we can talk about that as well. But in terms of the kind of actual process, the way it really looked was we created first just a a whole pitch for the book to pitch to publishing houses, which, you know, as many writers know, includes your bios and your pitch letter, your table of contents, and a couple of sample chapters and an introduction. And those sample chapters, we we really wrote both of those pretty much in concert. Yeah, we each took a lead on, so we turned in two chapters in that pitch. We each took the lead on one of those chapters, but then we swapped them and we we got feedback from one another all the anecdotes from all the students in the book are completely mixed. They are, half of them are students I've worked with, half of them were students Jen worked with, and we just changed the names kind of of all of them. And so wherever the stories fit, we would put those anecdotes into the chapters. And then from the research side, which was really fascinating, Jen had read, as she mentioned, a lot of the kind of mental health experts. And she'd done, you know, we, we both read a lot of the same books in the college admissions field, and we were kind of up to date on everything. But we colored our every chapter with support from experts out there, including you know thought leaders, psychologists, other authors in our field, as well as surveying teachers, heads of school. That was really fun, actually, that part. We sent surveys out to many, many colleagues all over the country at private schools, public schools, um, you know, school counselors, teachers, and heads of school were mostly who we were were seeking. And we they, they gave us feedback. Some wanted to be anonymous. Others were willing to share their names on people who had kind of boots on the ground in the classrooms and in the schools right now 
what they were seeing and what they wish parents would do differently and what was working in their parent body. And we were able to even incorporate a lot of kind of our survey results. I would call it not a really scientific survey, but just a really collective consciousness that's going on out there that we kind of found a lot of the same themes going through all sorts of schools and all sorts of teachers. One of the things that my kids' school does that I absolutely love is they survey the kids. I think it's in spring of junior year. And they say, what would you hope your parents will do and what will you hope they won't do during this process? And so then in the fall, when we have our first college night for senior year, they read those out. And I always feel like that is such a helpful reminder to me, like, don't hover over and don't be asking a million questions about college and the application process and all of it. And it's just such a great way to kind of have insight from the kids, but in a much less threatening way. I love that. Yeah, I think that's a great reminder. I I insist on meeting with all of my students one on one for a similar reason. I you know I always keep parents apprised of what we're working on and what the progress is and if there's anything to follow up on. But I, as both Cindy and I, very much believe that this needs to be the student's process. It is their life. It is where they are going to be for the next four, maybe five years. And we as parents really need to be putting our trust in them. And we need to be conveying to them our belief that they can take on the responsibility and that we're there to support and truly lead them. But this really is their time. Yeah. And what's really interesting, actually, Cindy, when you mentioned they did that survey is on a much broader scale, I'll just have to kind of give a shout out to this organization we love called Challenge Success, which is an organization that tries to reach as many high schools as they can around the country. Right now, I think they're in, I don't know, at least... I don't want to misquote, but between, I don't know, 800 to 1,000 high schools at this point and growing, something like that. But Challenge Success, Denise Pope, who was one of the co-founders of it, basically, she also, we were lucky enough to have her write the foreword to our book. She signed on to our project because we have so many similarities in the way that we support kind of the mental health and the high school journey of our students. And Challenge Success really tries to go into high schools and survey the parents, survey the students, survey the admin, survey the teachers, and create almost their own unique you know, case study with all of this great data that they gather from their actual families and students to try to kind of revamp these high schools or redirect these high schools to care for the needs of maybe sleeping a little bit later for the students in the morning or a little bit of a longer pastime between classes so kids can kind of breathe and say hello to each other between classes and to focus less on grades and test scores and a little bit more on project-based learning or you know to really turn the idea of success on its head and not have it just be grades, test scores, and a number that defines the students, but lots of other kinds of things including mental health. And so anyway, Challenge Success is just a great organization that kind of does on a much bigger scale what your school was doing at the beginning by surveying parents and asking students because they open up this dialogue of conversation to kind of create, you know, a really great dialogue to help improve the lives of the students, the schools and the community at large. And I think as a parent, you always have your child's best interest at heart. But sometimes you just aren't communicating that the right way. I mean, you know, that's what I think that those surveys were helpful to me because a couple of those reminders, I was able to kind of see it from her perspective versus mine and thinking, well, I wouldn't love it if somebody was asking me all that all the time. But for me, it was more like, well, we want to make sure we don't miss any deadlines. But then I was kind of flipping it around and being like, oh, you know, it's already a stressful process. Everybody's talking about it nonstop. And if I add to that mix, it just adds more stress. Yeah, 
we actually have a couple of questionnaires in the parent compass to create that kind of dialogue between students and their parents. So we've created these questions that really help parents to sit down with their kids, better communicate with them, and to understand, you know, what might not be working in their relationships. So, you know, we really do encourage families to, to do them. We practiced with them. We've had a lot of people who have given us feedback on them. And it seems that, you know, when we can come to our kids with humility saying, look, I want to parent better. Can you do this questionnaire with me? The kids are more likely to open up and really give their parents some constructive feedback. Well, and there's a section that I was just looking at again before I was chatting with you all where you had questions to kind of ask your teens instead of how was your day, which is never an easy, no kid likes to have that asked to them the second they hop in the car or walk in the door if they're driving. You had other kind of more roundabout questions. And I was just looking at those again and thinking, I really need to remember a couple of those because they're a great way to start a conversation, but not how was your day. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we we even we even consulted question experts on those. <laughs> because we had some that we'd, you know, we we've used with a lot of our own kids or our own students. You know, there there are wonderful books of questions out there too that, you know, kind of helped gu- help guide parents in in coming up with more creative ways to, you know, to get their kids to open up and and to share. Food and timing also plays a big part in question asking. We've realized, you know, having food and snacks and and things around that just sort of slow you down and and not a lot of distractions like cell phones and so you know media going on but just times when I don't know I found even during covid when you're doing a puzzle together or when you're having your after school snack together or um you know just kind of casually in the car when there's not a lot of distraction you can have these kinds of conversations and sometimes get much deeper than when it seems like they're just being peppered at you especially the second you see them. I mean, I don't love it when I walk in the door and everybody starts telling me all this stuff. So, you know, flipping that over, it's the same way. Like you walk in the door from school, you don't want to immediately be hounded with a million questions. And I think it's it's important too for us to even, you know, if you have something important that you need to talk to your teen about, it's great to to put it on them and say, hey, I have something I'd really like to talk to you about. When is a good time for you to do that? And that can kind of give them a little bit of a sense of control. And that way you're not totally catching them off guard. Well, you mentioned that you had some issues with chapters, not necessarily issues is maybe not the best word. So you said you had some flipping around. So your first chapter was originally your last or vice versa. Tell me about all of that. I mean, the first chapter just didn't even exist. And we finished the book and we were like, we just, Jen and I kind of turned to each other, but we feel like something's really missing here. And we ended up, I would say that chapter, the first chapter and the tech chapter were the hardest to write, Jen. Would you agree? I mean, the first chapter really, really focused on kind of the theme of physician heal thyself, like for the parents to take a deep, hard look at you, your own biases, your own self-reflections, your own background, your own parenting that you had from your parents to you, et cetera. And it, it really forced husbands, wives, partners, you know, whoever is parenting the child to self-reflect. That was a challenging process even for Jen and I to do ourselves because you realize you can't do a great job parenting your kids until you have a good sense of kind of who you are and your style and and knowing what it's it's what, what, what you're bringing to the table and what baggage you have with you. And then you add on to it, you know, different kids with different learning styles and their own different interests. And it just gets very complex because what worked for the first child may not work for the second, as all of us know, with more than one child. And so it really forces parents in that first chapter to kind of take a deep look at ourselves 
and kind of fix ourselves before we can fix our kids. And that's a lot to ask in the first, you know, 15 pages. <laughs> but I don't know if Jen wants to add anything to that, or we jump ahead to how impossible that tech chapter was, which we just, I mean, we almost didn't even want to include that in the book. It was so hard, I felt like. And I also felt a little bit like you couldn't write a book about parenting and raising teens without addressing technology. And um, it just seems like it's such a moving target. And there are so many books already written about it and so many experts that have weighed in that we wanted to try to do it justice. We tried to turn to experts and, and we also tried to bring in our own personal confessions. But that chapter was really hard. I don't know, Jen, do you have any other additions to why it was so hard for us? Well, I would say that that was the chapter that we didn't even feel like we could rely on these surveys that we'd done or anything. We we did full-blown interviews with multiple experts in that chapter and really had to dig very deep. I think part of it was some self-examination, some things that maybe we didn't even like, you know, I I personally have a very love-hate relationship with tech. <laughs> so I think it was it was partially difficult because we had to really look at ourselves and see how we were using tech and hold ourselves accountable, you know, for the words that we were printing on paper, we had to kind of walk the walk if, if we were going to be doing that. I have a big technology addiction. I will say that now, like I don't go to an AA meeting for it and say, you know, I'm here and I'm an alcoholic or I'm here and I'm a tech addict. But my kids like to look at how much time I spend on social media. They like to gauge me, which is really an embarrassing like turn of tables. I try to say, well, it's for the book and it's for this, it's for that. And I definitely am the worst in my family. So that was a hard thing. You know, Jen, you say it in a nicer way, but that's a very hard thing for me to face. And I, and I did write about it in the book. So I'm not hiding behind my, my, my problem, which I continue <laughs> to work on. <laughs> but anyway. But yeah, I mean, I just, I think we, we didn't, we felt like we really needed the help of some experts for that chapter more so than any other chapter. Absolutely. And so we learned a lot. And I think that in writing that chapter, I made some personal changes in my own life. And I, I think ultimately, you know, we touched on some really important things, but it, it definitely was painful, painful. I remember if we're, if we're being really honest, I remember even writing little notes to each other since this is about the writing process in the margins and just both of us like, Ugh, you know, or like, <laughs> like another comment, like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. So it was, yeah, it was, it was tough, but we got through it. And, and I think there's some potent advice there. It is crazy, Cindy, because in the last three years, I actually moved. I, Jen and I met in Southern California where I raised my family for 20 years and she's still there, but I moved three years ago to the Bay area, to the heart of the Silicon Valley. And I would say um, that has been just a huge rude awakening for me because I'm living around, you know, the Google and Facebook and Amazon inventors, basically, the, you know, where this all was born. It is, you know, we, we even talk in the tech chapter about how tech leaders handle technology in their own homes and kind of the toxicity of a lot of it. So it was a very, it was very painful. And I hadn't seen that Social Dilemma movie yet before the book came out. I don't know if you've seen it, Jen. Or if you've yes. seen it, Cindy, I mean, it is a hard pill to swallow to watch that, to watch that movie and then talk about it with your kids. So I would highly recommend that as well as a catalyst for possible change in your own homes. <laughs> we really need to do that. But because people have said what you just said, that it almost felt like a horror film, I've been a big wimp and put it off. But you're reminding me that we really do need to do that. And I think technology generally is by far the hardest part of parenting, just figuring it all out. And the problem is, 
that the the repercussions are so strong. Like something going wrong can just be such a catastrophe versus, you know, other things you're like, well, I didn't mention this. And okay, so he got a, you know, C or got a zero because he didn't turn something in. But some of the things that can go wrong with social media are so much more long lasting. Yeah. One of the things that we talk about, you know, since we're on the topic is we really do ask parents and it's it's hard to see this as I'm saying it, but maybe you can, to, but it's written in the books, to post with intention, not in tension. So don't, don't, don't post, you know, things about your kids without them knowing about it, without them approving it. And what that connects to through our lens of college admission is we really ask families, both students and parents, to be very cognizant of what they're posting with regard to college admissions and specifically college admission decisions. And to remember that humility should always win out and remember, you know, what is the point of your post and what are you, you know, are you trying to brag or why, why are you doing this? But maybe consider doing that in private and, and maybe it's not necessarily for public consumption. That is so fascinating that you say that because, again, having just been through last year and watching the spectrum of posts and the way people posted, because I think you can post in a way that is much more neutral and letting people know, because people do want to know, like, where is your child going? Maybe our kids are going to end up going the same place. I mean, we've actually connected up several people for my daughter through letting people know where she was going. They're like, oh, my best friend's daughter's going there. You know, I mean, I think there's some positive to that. I mean, there's just a lot of ways you can do it that are not so in your face. Right. We've seen the repercussions of the in-your-face posts. And, you know, I mean, there's the bedspreads covered with all of the logos and this, that, whatever. And there's the, you know, the parent who painfully posted, I had to share this one with Jen a couple months ago, the list of every school his daughter was like rejected to. I mean, it just was like, it was just painful. I was like, I don't even understand why and how, but where she did get in, but that that's okay. It was just this (gasps) on and on and on saga and over... 150 parents like chimed in at this like confessional. And I thought, what does this do to the child? Like, I don't, I don't understand. Like if you need to have private conversations with a few of your close friends about this or with a therapist or with your spouse, I I don't know, but to sort of put it out there to me is just says more about the parent, I think, than it does about the teen. And it's just heartbreaking. It kind of brings you back to that varsity blue scandal, which we talked about at the beginning of the interview, which is like, you know, do we, don't we just like love our kids for who they are? Aren't we proud of as hard as they're working and they're capable of working? Let's, let's celebrate who they are at whatever level of student they are, whatever they bring to the table. You know, we all got to be teenagers. We all went through this process. We all ended up wherever we ended up, whether it was what we loved or what we wish we had done differently, but now it's their turn. And that means that, you know, we don't need to dictate the process and we don't need to kind of make them feel worse about focusing on some list of schools on a magical list that, you know, we think are the only places that can find them happiness. You know, we all know that's not true, but our egos get in the way and our, our parenting, you know, pride and our, you know, mama bear, we call it competitive parenting. I mean, it's just really what we're trying in the parent compass to stay away from and get away from. That's terrible. I mean, I saw a lot of the flip side of that. Like my kid got into Harvard and Stanford and Rice and blah, 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 and they chose such and such. But I don't think I've seen one where they didn't get into all these places. How horrible. And that's so private. It was really sad. I think also parents weigh in on like where they went and how they try to either compare that to where their kid 
should or shouldn't go or where they expect their kids should go based on where they went. And to me, it's sort of like, how can, you know, the process a generation ago was entirely different. The level of competition was entirely different. It's almost like we're living on different planets now from what it was a generation ago. So to kind of have that be such a heavy factor, I think, you know, does become another complexity in this already, you know, crazy process. I do think people take it so personally, like it reflects on them. And I think that's part of the problem why some of this parenting has gotten so crazy is sometimes I think a lot of it has somehow become the parent feels like it's reflective of them when their child does anything wrong or doesn't get into a certain school or whatever it is. And I think it's just so important to realize, and you talk a lot about this in the book, they are themselves. You know, you, you've had your life, you live your life, they are now living theirs. It, it was hard for me, and I think your oldest child probably always bears the brunt of the most of that. But, to, you know, there are times when I've been like, okay, I've been insisting on such and such, and she's been telling me that's really not what she wants to do. And it took me a while to realize I have to listen to that. And then, of course, with the other two, I've done a better job. I agree. You know, the birth order and the amount of years you have is, you know, I mean, I kind of wish I had this book at the beginning. I mean, I really do. That's why we have parents of like even younger kids reading the book, which is so funny to me because I have this mom who's like, I have really young kids, but I'm going to start to just like get to know this stuff because I want to be prepared when I get to those tween and teen years. And and it's not really written for for parents of much younger kids, but a lot of those patterns are established pretty early on. So Hopefully, um, you know, we people can learn from some of our mistakes and some of the mistakes of what have played out in the media. And, um, you know, maybe this next generation will, you know, will have a, a better, better options in terms of mental health and, and uh, their own journey. I think that's right, because definitely the discussion of mental health seems to be much more prominent now than it used to be. And hopefully it will just continue to be so. Mm hmm. Well, I always love to hear what people are reading, and I know that's a little bit off topic from what we've been talking about today with Parent Compass and everything, but I know you both are readers, so I would love to hear what you've read recently that you really liked. I just read The Four Winds by Kristen Hanna, which is just a marvelous book. I couldn't stop reading it. It's about the Dust Bowl and this woman, Elsa, and how she kind of grows in her own self-confidence through one of the most terrible times in our nation's history. And I would highly recommend it. It was fabulous. I loved it. I loved it too. Uh, so it's funny. That one was on my list. I heard that was very, very heavy. And I just didn't know if I could handle it right after COVID. But I heard it was amazing. So I don't want don't, don't to say anything bad about it. I'm sure it's incredible. But I then turned to, actually, I couldn't choose. I had to choose between two. And so I just finished We Begin at the End, which is another pretty heavy but amazing book by Chris Whitaker. It takes you also through um, kind of two kind of heart-wrenching stories of really interesting characters, a little bit of kind of a scout-like character from To Kill a Mockingbird, but kind of your modern day version, a very young, precocious, but really um, strong young female lead. And then kind of her partner is this much older police officer in a small town. And you kind of see their journey side by side and the things they do to support one another. So I loved that book, but even more as I have just become such a Frederick Bachman fan. My daughter had to read Beartown for school and they encouraged the parents to join along. And then I followed up with Us Against You just a few weeks ago. And then I learned that his third book in that series is, is being translated right now and it's going to come out in the fall. So 
I'm a big fan of that series and obviously Man Called Ove and, and the other wonderful books he's written. I just think he does a great job with characters. A Man Called Ove is one of my all-time favorite books. So good. So good. And then he has written a novella, something about the way home, every morning the way home gets longer and longer. And my dad has Alzheimer's and it talks about it's a grandson and a grandfather and it's fiction, but it's he had a friend who had dementia. It kind of walks through this short story between the two of them and what it's like for the grandfather with the holes in his memory oh. and, you know, dealing with the grandson. It's so good. I'm going to start like, <laughs> I'm going to start tearing up now. I'm like, oh. oh, but it's very good. Well, we love following your account. We love following bookstagrammers. And just because we're writers of a parenting book, we love novels. We love romance. We love all kinds of reading too. We're busy trying to, you know, fill our free time with, with great books too. There's so many out there. And, you know, so we appreciate you bringing those to, to us as well in, in the work that you do, Cindy. <laughs> well, thank you. I love it. And I think you all are going to be at Zibby's retreat in November, right? Yes. Are we going to yeah. meet you there? Yes. We're going to get to meet. So I'm so excited. Well, that will be so much fun. And I just can't thank you both enough for joining me today. This was just a fascinating conversation. And I'm happy to have had my first parenting book discussion on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Cindy, thanks so much for having us. We can't wait to meet you at Zibby's retreat and give you a big hug. We're really happy to be on your show. This was so fun. Thank you for, we, we don't get to talk about our writing process enough. So this was super, super fun. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.